Good afternoon again, church. Um, it's, uh, it is really good to be back again. Um, even though I was only away for an extra week than I usually am, I felt that I felt it a lot more, so I'm glad to be back. And uh, so I'm here with you for the next uh, two weeks, so that's good news or bad news, depending on what you think of me. Um, um, but uh, it's, uh, I'm glad to, glad to be back. And, and uh, um, as I'm sure you can see, um, the Northern Irish culture is starting to take its effect on me. Uh, by wearing the orange of uh, of Northern Ireland, you know, slowly, slowly getting there, getting there. <laughs> I'm Dutch as well, yes, yes, indeed, yes. <laughs> um, so for the, for the next sort of next few uh, uh, next few sermons that I do, or um, for the rest of the quarter even, um, I'm going to be looking at the topic of grace. Um, and some aspects of grace. Um, so uh, this, this is what we'll be um, concentrating on um, for the for the rest of the quarter, uh, certainly uh, whilst whilst I'm here. Um, so the script. Well, there are two scripture readings. Um, one really is for context, but the main one is Hebrews twelve fifteen. But if you could also go to uh, Luke chapter. 15 verses 25 to 30. So that's Hebrews 12 verse 15. I'll read that last. And then Luke 15 verses 25 to 30. Okay, Luke 15, verses 25 to 30. Now the older son was in the field, and as he came and and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And so he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat, that I might take merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 15, and I'll be reading from the New International Version, sorry, the New Living Translation Version, and we're just looking at the first part of that verse, Hebrews 12 verse 15, look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God, look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. The title for the presentation this afternoon is the myth of selective grace. 
the myth of selective grace. Shall we bow our heads? Dear Lord and Father, we thank you for this opportunity. Lord, this is your moment. These are your people. I pray, Lord, that you would do your work, that we may find some strength and encouragement and indeed be challenged by your word today. This is my prayer, Lord, in your name. Amen. There is a word going around our churches. Uh, it is a much more popular than it was uh, 15 to 20 years ago. Uh, we love to use it. We like to teach it. Yes, we like this word. And that word is grace. And so we talk about being a people of grace, a church of grace. We are saved by grace through faith. It's one of the buzzwords that has increased in popularity. Grace. But there are other types of grace, not just the type we talk about in church. When we don't make a payment or we don't make a deadline at, at college or at school or at university, the bank or our teachers give us a grace period. That celebrity or politician whose scandal gets to the media is said to have fallen from grace. We might describe a beautiful woman as gracious or a dancer as graceful. And let's not forget those two second prayers called grace before we eat. Sometimes we say it with food already in our mouths. But grace is in our vocabulary, both inside and outside of the church. We talk about grace. We sing about grace. We read about grace. Even today we are preaching about grace. We proclaim it. We talk about it. We teach it. But do we get it? We use it a lot. But do we really know what it means? Grace is defined as unmerited favour. So when we say that we are saved by grace, it means that we are saved not because we did anything, not because we deserved it or how great and wonderful we are. No, we, we received the favour and graciousness of God. There is nothing we have done or could ever do to receive the gift of salvation. It is purely and solely because of his grace. Are you with me this morning? It is because of the love and generosity of God that we even have a chance of entering those pearly gates. And this is all fine. I don't have a problem with that. But today I'm going to attack, maybe that's too strong a word, I'm going to challenge your concept of grace. Maybe not your definition of grace, but moreover your application of grace. Because I believe we understand, we get the definition, but perhaps we are not applying it like we should. Our application of grace is wishy-washy. And I'm not talking about us specifically here. I mean, if the cap fits, that's fine. But in Adventism, in Christianity, are we applying grace the way it should be applied? Jesus tells the story of a man who has two sons the older and the younger. The older is supposed to get the inheritance, but really the sons are only supposed to get the inheritance when the father dies. So the youngest one loses his mind and asks for his inheritance early. In other words, you are nothing to me. You might as well be dead. His relationship is all about what he can get from his father, what he can receive. Uh, we need to be careful that we don't enter that trap and only pray to God when we want something. 
So the younger son says, hurry up and, and die. But if you can't do that, the next best thing is to give me my inheritance. And here is where grace comes in. The father says, I will give you your inheritance. But it's quite clear that the son does not deserve it. But the father gives it to him anyway. He knows the son is going to waste it, but he gives it to him anyway. And here is where God's grace is so awesome, so incredible that it's almost scandalous. He will let us go ahead and even finance our foolishness. God knows everything about us. He he knows that sin that you plan to commit after the sun sets this evening. He knows your plans and the sins that you plan to do tomorrow. He doesn't have to wake us up knowing that what we are going to do what we are going to do. But the grace of God says, I know what you're going to do, but I will still wake you up anyhow. The power of God's grace is that he knows what you're going to do, but will wake you up. He puts his breath in our body and you and I will take that breath and go against his will. That is God's grace. Grace allows you the freedom to make your own choice. So the son leaves. He leaves the protection and the security of his father. What he sees as restriction is really protection. So he goes to a far country. He's far from home. And he the Bible says, wasted his substance on riotous living. So what is riotous living? Riotous living is all the stuff you wish you could do and not get caught. That's riotous living. And everything, he he spends all his money, he wastes all the inheritance and to the point where everything that his father gave him is gone. And so soon he ends up a servant. He is feeding pigs and sleeping with pigs and eating what pigs eat. Sin will make you live beneath the level God destined for your life. Sin will make you trade in your destiny for pig slop. But that's a sermon for another day. Uh, You know, growing up, you might have heard this saying, the angels of the Lord will not go with you in certain places. So if you went to that nightclub, If you went to the place, we were told when we were growing up that the angels would stand outside because there were places the angels uh, feared to tread because it was unholy. Have you ever heard that? But the word of God says, if I make my bed in heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, you are there also. The grace of God can reach you in any place. Great is his faithfulness even in our unfaithfulness. There is grace even in the darkest of times. And so something miraculous happens when the boy is in the pig pen. The Bible says he came to himself. Uh, He came to himself, which means that he must have been out of his mind to leave his father in the first place. He comes to the realization that sin will always let you down. He says, I will rise and go to my father. He says, I have sinned. His unwise decisions have brought him here. But by God's grace, he sees the error of his ways. God 
doesn't always block our dumb or our stupid decisions. Because God knows we may be one dumb decision away from our deliverance or from turning our lives around. I will arise and go to my father's house. He realized that he needed to go back. He's going home. And so the father sees him down the road and the father starts running. The son is not all the way home. He's on the way. But the father meets him on the way home. The dirt is still on him. But the grace of God is this, that even when we have done wrong, the father will meet you on the way. The grace of God can get us, get to us even when we are still smelling from the wrong decisions and the bad choices that we have made. And so the father puts a robe on him and the party starts, the party begins. And here, here is where I've been trying to get to all morning. The older son, he doesn't want to go to the party. He's like, what's this party all about? This boy's been out doing all kinds of things. Why is he getting a party? I've been around here working for you. I've been good. I've been keeping the Ten Commandments. And here comes this wild boy who's been wasting his substance. But here's the thing. The older son was still the recipient of his father's grace. It seemed like he wanted for nothing. He had a roof over his head and the text suggests that he was even employed by his father. His father had shown him grace. So because he was the recipient of the Father's grace, he should, he should have extended that grace to his brother. He should have been happy to see his loved one, but he was not. He chose to be selective in the way that he showed grace. The grace that he showed was a kind of conditional grace that had his brother done like he did, then he would have been happier, more willing, to show grace. I wonder if this is the problem that we have when it comes to the application of God's grace. Uh, See, we are all the recipients of the Father's grace. The Father has shown us grace even though we don't deserve it. And so, because we have been the recipients of the Father's grace, we should, we should be extending that grace to those around us. But like the brother, we tend to be selective in the way in which we show grace. We show a kind of conditional grace. That unless people meet the standards that we expect or that we want, then we don't show people grace. And it's here when I, where I begin to scratch my head. And it's because of this that I believe that our application of grace is a bit wishy-washy. Because if we were to break it down, the thought process behind this, we see that we are more than happy, more than happy to receive grace. I didn't deserve it? Well, that's okay. We claim the grace of God in the name of Jesus. But when it's our turn to show others grace, sometimes we are not so forthcoming. When people are annoying us, mistreating us, getting on our last nerve, can we show them grace? Oftentimes we don't show grace Uh, we give them chances we deal in ultimatums if you don't do or act like i want you to act then i'm out of here this is a conditional grace a selective grace 
a grace which says, I can pick and choose who I show grace to. I determine who is worthy of my grace. The crazy thing about this is that the grace of God is for everybody, but the grace that we show to others is limited. But is this what God requires of us? Surely we are called to a higher standard. The Bible says that it's easy to love those who love us back, but merit comes in loving those who are unlovable. So the question is, can we show grace to those who are, if I can put it this way, ungraceable, or in our thinking, beyond grace? Oftentimes, what we do is we use the sins of others to feel better about ourselves. We say to ourselves, well, we can't show grace to them because we have adopted a loftier position than they. So we get this idea that we can pick and choose who we show grace to. But let's be absolutely real. Let's be completely honest. Cards on the table. There are people who just have a knack, an ability, sometimes even a degree in rubbing you up the wrong way. They know how to push your buttons. Or how about those people that you have tried and tried with, but you still get nowhere? You think you've made progress with them only to take four steps back. Can we show grace to even those people who don't deserve it? Those people who get on your last nerve? Can you keep showing them love and grace? When I stand up here to speak, the first person that needs to hear this sermon is me. I'm not coming across all high and mighty. Yes, we are being real. Yes, we are being honest. But the concept of grace has to be more than just a theory. It has to be more than knowledge. It has to be lived out. It has to be applied in our lives. Our scripture text, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. I really like the New Living Translation version of it. It says, look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Look after each other so that none of you fail to receive the grace of God. We have to love people like God loves them. We have to show grace to people like God shows grace to people. It doesn't say we can be selective. The Bible doesn't say show grace to those who show you grace. The text encourages us to show grace to everyone. So there are two parts to this text. First is that we cannot be selective. And secondly, we need to tell others about the grace of God. It's great to, it's great to tell them about it, but what I would say to you that it's even better if we could show them grace. The grace of God is not something anyone should be missing out on. Everyone needs to receive it. But why did this happen? Why do these, why do these things occur? The international best-selling author, Max Lucado, talks about how he was to undergo a heart procedure, something called a catheter ablation. To ablate is to burn. So essentially, the doctors were going into his heart to burn away the cells which were not doing as they were supposed to. As he was being wheeled into surgery, the doctor asked if he had any questions. So he said, you're burning the interior of my heart, right? Correct, said the doctor. 
you intend to kill the misbehaving selves. That is my plan. As long as you're in there, could you take a little blowtorch to some of my greed and selfishness and superiority and guilt? And the doctor smiled and said, sorry, but that's out of my pay grade. It's God who's in the business of changing hearts. But some of us have not undergone that change of heart. When we truly give our hearts to Christ, he says in Ezekiel 36:26 that I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. A type of spiritual heart transplant, if you will. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 says, It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So, it can't be a case of having the ideals and the doctrines and the theory of Jesus. We have to have Jesus move into our hearts. We need God to abide in us, to dwell in us, for his Holy Spirit to inhabit us. It's one thing to know it and understand the theory, but we need Christ in us. When that happens, then change, true change can come. He can then rearrange our thought processes and our decision making. Max Lucado continues, he says, you can't forgive your enemy, can't face tomorrow, can't forgive your past. Christ can and is on the move, aggressively budging you from graceless to grace-shaped living. Those who receive the gift also give the gift. Forgiven people, forgiving people. So the truth of the matter is that we need to be changed by grace, shaped by grace, softened by grace. When grace comes into the picture, you realize your righteousness is as filthy rags. Your very best is not enough. Anyone who makes it to the kingdom makes it by grace because grace saves you. Grace forgives you. Grace delivers you. Grace is unfair. Grace allows you, like the prodigal son, to come back dirty. But grace also says, come as you are. His grace founded you. His grace redeemed you. His grace cleaned you up. His love, God's love, is not changed by our actions or our decisions. Uh, Then neither should the love or grace we show be impacted by the actions or the decisions of others. Grace has to shape our entire our entire lives. We can talk about it, but then when somebody scratches our car in the car park, there are some expletives used that aren't even in the English dictionary. It's one thing to know it, it's another to live it. We cannot say that we are a church of grace if we are not living it. Otherwise it's just a word, it's a myth. Sometimes we want to really tell people about themselves. Uh, We want to give up on people. We've decided that enough is enough. But sometimes we need grace to pull us back like Madonna's cloak did at the award show this week. I had to get that in there somewhere. Pull us back and work on us again. Let grace mould us after the character of God. And here's the thing. If we truly allow grace to shape our lives and our thinking, then we would be different people, and as a result, we would be a different church. So there is the challenge. Can you show grace to others to make our church, our community, our homes a better place? Can we show grace to those who don't deserve it? 
sometimes we need to humble ourselves and remember that we don't deserve God's grace either. But like Hebrews 12 says, can we get to the point where we all look after one another so that everyone receives the grace of God? The idea or the concept that we can be selective in how we administer or apply grace is a myth. It's not something that we set out to do, but it is something that happens. Grace is universal for all of us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. All of us are sinners. Nobody is better than the other. The oldest son in the story of the prodigal son thought he could pick and choose how grace was shown. And the truth, the truth is, some of us do the same today, myself included. But we need to challenge that mindset and that way of thinking. If they don't meet your standards, it doesn't mean that we should treat them badly. Even if you think that they deserve it. Grace is not selective or conditional. It is for everyone. So in what aspects of our lives, or to who, do we need to show more grace? I pray that all of us today would commit to letting God's grace shape our characters. That we would fully commit to Christ in such a way that he is able to dwell in us. That we create an environment in our hearts and minds where the Holy Spirit can live permanently. Because the truth of the matter is everybody messes up. We all make mistakes. Nobody is perfect. And even though we may have every right to feel wrong, insulted or aggrieved, God is calling us, all of us, to a higher standard. Grace is not conditional or selective. It is for everyone. As humans, we will continue to sin, and God knows we will sin, but he doesn't love us any less nor does he remove or take away the grace that was given to us. God's grace is completely unconditional, so ours should be too. So let us endeavour to do what the scripture text encourages, encourages us to do, which is to look after each other, so that none of us fail to receive the grace of God. Amen.